What is up, everyone? I hope you're doing excellent on this Wednesday, June 16th. I'm Rafael Garcia here for episode number 208 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. I want to thank you again for taking the time out to check out this show, uh, whether if you're listening right when it drops or at a later date. As always, thank you for taking the time and doing so uh, today. I am alone again because of my work schedule being a little wonky right now, but Shawan should be back next week with me. But um, tonight I will be talking about a couple of different topics uh, in tonight's show. Of course, we're going to look back to UFC 263 this past weekend where Israel Adesanya successfully defended his middleweight title. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about UFC on ESPN 25, which is this weekend. And answer a few questions that have been posed to me over the last few days about the MMA world. But before I do that, I want to always thank you for taking the time to listen to this show and remind you that you can find all of our content over at MMARatings.net, which is our flagship uh, platform. Also .com, you can hit us up on uh, Instagram and Twitter at MMARatingsNet in both spaces. This podcast, along with the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast, can be found on uh, YouTube as well uh, under MMA Ratings. And you can find our podcast across multiple platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Spotify. Myself and I, you can check me out on social media at rgarcia underscore sports. So let's go ahead and jump on into it. Let's start the night with talking about Adesanya versus Vittori. So as I mentioned already... Adesanya successfully defended his middleweight title, and it was the, the the interesting thing I hear about this fight, and a lot of people are talking about, is the difference in Adesanya from two hundred five to one eighty five. So of course we saw him lose to Jan Blachowicz a few months back, fighting for the two hundred five pound title, and a lot of that was based on Blachowicz's ability to take him down in open space and do enough from those positions while Adesanya was basically holding on. Vittori was able to score takedowns as well, just as he was in their first fight from 2018, I believe that fight was. Vittori was able to score takedowns as well here, but he wasn't as successful, I mean, at, at all at holding Adesanya in those positions. Adesanya was able to get reversals, get back to his feet as, as necessary, or even hold him down to uh, a spot where, you know, he wasn't taking a lot of damage. And that was really the key to his development as a fighter. And, and that's what everyone wanted to see. Is he going to be able to do more off of his back? Or will he just be stuck there like he was with Blahovich? That would have really changed the outcome of this of this fight. And we see that he is a much better grappler at 185 as opposed to... 205, and I know that it's, it's, what, 20 pounds between the two-way classes, and individuals may not look at that as a big gap that would really impact your ability to grapple and wrestle, but it, that is a huge chasm, especially when we look at the fact that Adesanya wasn't that big at 205, so having someone on top of you, being able to drain you with uh, their ability to stay on top of you, that is very important especially in a fight that went 25 minutes. Yeah, Adesanya had his bright spots against Blahovich, but he wasn't able to do as much off of his back as he was here against Vittori. And I think that that is really what the difference was. We knew Adesanya was going to have the um, advantage on the feet 
and striking wouldn't be a much of a difference between the two because Adesanya was clearly the better man there. But we wondered what it would look like what the, when the fight hit the ground. And we saw what we got there. Uh, Adesanya was able to do some more work that he wasn't able to do at 205, and that really kind of helped him uh, in, that, in, in those positions. I'm curious to see what he looks like against more accomplished grapplers. There aren't really any submission artists that stand out at 185. Um, sitting here thinking right now, I can't think of any guys that like, they don't have, like a Damian Maya, Gunnar Nelson, or a Ryan Hall, Crone Gracie over at 185, maybe Jack Hermanson. If anybody, or is he at 205? Not quite sure there. But they don't have uh, a lot of guys at that weight class that, that can you know, pull guard like Paul Craig did earlier in the in the night and, and work off their back. So it'll be interesting to see how much Adesanya grows in that position and, and what he adds to his game as a grappler to become a more complete fighter. What will be next for him? Um, I'm not sure because, you know, Dana White's claiming that Robert Whitaker doesn't want that fight. And anytime what Dana White says that about a fighter, he's basically letting us know that the fighter is asking for their actual worth and pay, and they won't take pennies to take take a contest. So that you know that there's that. But Robert Whitaker is definitely out there, and and I wonder. I hear people talking about this fight a lot, and I always want to ask whether or not Whitaker has evolved enough in that position to be more of a threat at 185 pounds? I don't think so. But that really seems to be the fight that everybody wants to see. And I get why, because Whitaker is a very exciting fighter. He's a likable fighter. He is someone that um, they can build around. This fight can definitely be in Australia and really be a big event there. Um, I'm not quite sure what they're still doing for COVID protocols in that country. But I would definitely think that this could be this could be a you know the catalyst of a, of, a, of a big car there. But Dana White claims he's not he's not next. If you look at let's pull up the middleweight rankings really quickly and see where everyone's stands. So at one eighty five, Whitaker's ranked number one. Paulo Costa's number two. Jared Kennedy's three. I think he has a fight coming up. Vittori's four. Derek Brunson's five. So yeah, Jack Hermanson six. So uh, I, I mean, we know Costa's not getting that fight, especially not with him going after um, or asking for more pay, as Dana White has so pleasantly called him out publicly. Uh, Whitaker's there. I could see them going with Jared Cannonier. I don't think he has a fight coming up. I'm checking right now. Let me see, Cannonier. Uh, let's see. Um, let me see if he has a fight coming up. Yeah, that's what I thought. Jared Kennedy is fighting Kelvin Gaston, but that's in August. I mean, that's two months away. And we know that uh, Israel Adesanya wants to stay more active. That's actually a question we're going to be asking in the third segment of today's show. But not really quite sure what they're going to do with him next, especially with him wanting to be so active. So I, I look forward to that conversation when it does come up. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is Brandon Moreno who submitted Davidson Figueredo in the third round. And this was an surprising, nah, I don't want to say surprising as in it was a massive upset, but this usually doesn't happen in these types of rematches in mixed martial arts. When quick rematches occur, 
The person who win, won the first one usually wins the second if the fights are very close together. If they're spread out apart, the rematches are different. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, if you look at the Frank Yeager, Gray Maynard series, they fought the first time, Maynard won. Years passed, they fought the second time, Frankie won. Or no, it was a draw the second time, then the third time, Frankie won. If you look at Leona Machida and and Shogun, a lot of people thought that Shogun won that fight. Um, they ran it back. Shogun blows the doors off of Machida. Um, or if you look at another example where it was more stressed out between the two, Dan Henderson and Shogun Hua's two fights in um, the UFC. So like, there's a lot of examples of fights that stand out there where the where if it occurs close together. The person who wins the first one usually wins the second. And while the first fight between Moreno and Figueredo ended in a draw, part of that was because Figueredo had a point deducted. So a lot of people were unsure of how this fight would play out. But man, Moreno put it on him from the jump. And to see him submit a finisher in Figueredo like that with a rear naked choke just blew my mind away. And it puts Moreno in a position to become a massive, massive baby face for the UFC and like in the most ridiculous of ways. He is the first Mexican-born champion in the UFC, bilingual. I mean, people love him. He is someone who can reach across the aisle to, you know, uh, video game players, um, hardcore fans, casuals alike. This is an opportunity here. He can talk on the microphone when they put it in front of him. He's He comes off with a very likable personality. And man, like he looks like someone to celebrate. And I hope the UFC does so with him. Um, I don't know. Like this flyweight is an interesting division where there's so many guys there that it's it's almost like a pick em who's next. Uh, we really thought that, that Figueredo was going to be the guy to reign over the division for an extended period of time. We know Henry Cejudo's gone, but I mean when you look at the when we look at the rest of the division, there aren't really any names that jump out to you as, you know, top foils. I mean you have Askar Askarov who is a tough prospect out there, Alexandra Pantoja, Alex Perez, and Joseph Benavidez that rounds out the top five. So what really do you do with them next? Uh, I I think that he has to. I think he'll probably fight Askarov next. I saw something on Twitter talking about how Henry Cejudo is his next biggest fight. I don't think Henry Cejudo wants to fight at 125 anymore, guys. He struggled to make the weight at the start of his career, and I think that he will struggle to make the weight now after being away for so long. And it's no point for him coming back to 125. Could that be a big fight? Yeah, it could if Brandon Moreno goes on a run. If he goes out here and he loses this fight the very next um, bout, then that is, that's not going to have the same type of, of cachet, long-term cachet. He needs to go on a run-run, and I would like to see that happen. Um, he, Like I said, he has an opportunity to be a major star here. He has an opportunity to be someone who the UFC can push to that Mexican market that they've always wanted to cultivate but have not been able to. And he has that ability to be someone that fans rally behind. He doesn't there aren't any 
you don't have to worry about him having a Greg Hardy background story or something along those lines. You don't have to worry about that with Brandon Moreno. And I, and I hope that he remains in this position for a very long time. Um, I, I'm not going to subscribe to the idea that Brandon Moreno is more marketable, marketable than Demetrius Johnson was. And I'm just going to stand, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it because I know Demetrius Johnson wasn't given the best respect by the UFC while he was there. But this guy is someone that can be a star in that organization and, and, and can be uh, a big name there if he is booked right. So it was a good, feel, feel good, feel great moment to see him win on Saturday and to see him take that take that title back to Mexico and here's a tip of the hat off to him and you and you even saw it with the response that a lot of fighters had I mean there wasn't anyone who was calling him out talking ish or anything like that or had anything bad to say everybody celebrated Brandon Moreno's win especially when you look at the fact that in 2018 they cut he lost two fights and the UFC cut him he lost on tough and, I mean, he fl- basically flunked out of the UFC the first time around, comes back, goes on a run, and is now a champion. You don't hear stories like that too often. I mean, you haven't heard one like that before. I'm trying to think of guys who have been in the UFC and were released and came back and went on a run. I mean, I can't even think of any. I can think of maybe like an Andre Orlowski who is, I mean, still remaining viable at heavyweight, but he's not a champion. He was a champion. But Brandon Moreno to be cut and find his way back to the UFC and do it with this type of outcome, is this is this is a story that sports are, are meant, to be, meant to tell. So I get why everyone is, is, is excited about it, and I am glad that he was able to make this happen and, and, and go on this type of uh, successful outing beating Davidson uh, Figueredo in the second round of the fight. Then we got Leon Edwards against uh, Nate Diaz. And he, this was, man, I'll put it like this. I saw a tweet about Leon Edwards that really summed it up to me. Leon Edwards is the only guy who can beat Nate Diaz and still lose the fight. And what I mean by that is he was controlling this fight for, what, 23 of 25 minutes, handedly, busted Nate all up, had Nate bleeding his own blood all over the place. Then, 23 minutes into the fight, he takes a 1-2 that leaves him wobbly, badly, badly hurt. And Diaz was too busy pointing at him and laughing at him than jumping in trying to finish him, finish him off. And Edwards was able to recover, and he went on to win 49-46 across all three cards. But everyone's talking about Nate. Everyone's talking about what's next next for Nate Diaz, um, how did, how he looked so good in this fight, et cetera, et cetera. And no one cares about Leon Edwards. And that's exact, as indicative of his UFC run. The man goes out there and wins, and he cannot further himself in any way, shape, or form. He's won nine straight since losing to Kamar Usman, and the guy is no closer to a title shot than anybody else right now. Uh, Dana said that Kobe Covington is still the, the number one contender. And fine, I get it. You can sell that fight more, but Edwards is on a nine-fight win streak, and no one wants to fight him. Let me let me confirm that before I keep saying nine and I'm actually be wrong here. Let me, let me 
confirm that real quicky quick. So he has won. Yeah, nine fights. And he had that no contest with Bilal Muhammad in there uh, back in March. It's so sad that this guy cannot break through. And I get it. Everyone's going to have their own. Everyone's going to have their feelings over it. But I mean, with wins over Rafael Dos Anjos, Gunnar Nelson, that, that's a run right there. Brian Barbarina is a good, good win too. Vicente Luque is a great win because you see Luque pushing up the up 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 the rankings. But Edwards can't get he can't position himself for a title shot, and he's not closer. He's going to have to beat someone else to get there, which is what I was saying about this fight with Nate Diaz and how it's such a trap fight. Because no matter how good he looks, he isn't going to really advance. It's just going to be oh, you know, you just beat Nate Diaz, which is what, which is how people are responding. And it's not like he didn't perform well. He performed great the whole fight. He did everything he needed to do to get this win. And he did it handily. But he was unable to wow the crowd in a way that really turned people around and kind of got them excited about him. And that's, that's the Leon Edwards problem. It's unfortunate, but you don't get title shots based off of win streak. You don't get title shots based off of Winning fights, you get title shots off of how many people can you draw in, how many eyeballs can you pull to an event, and that's that. I guarantee you, had Nate won, he'd be lined up for a title shot. He'd be lined up for something huge right now. He could drop back down to 155 and find his way in the title picture. He could have been put in this position to fight uh, Kamar Usman. Usman would have fought him for a damn good payday, but now we have to see what's next. I, I, I like the idea of him. And Jorge Masvidal running it back. I like that idea. That could be a main event for like a UFC on, on ESPN type showcase. It could be a, um, I don't think it's a pay-per-view main event. But it could definitely be a co-main event. And since you see them being willing to uh, have five-round fights be uh, non, non-title five-round fights for co-main events. That, or, 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 yeah, whatever they want to call this one. I would have been down with him, uh, him, him and Jorge doing something along those lines. Uh, let's see what happened. Bala Mohammed and Damian Maya. I mean, it's kind of what we thought it was going to be. Damian is not that guy anymore. He still has. You fuck around, let him get a hold of you. He will submit you. But if you can avoid those takedowns, and you can play that game. You'll be perfectly fine there. Paul Craig. Paul Craig hit a submission on Jamal Hill. That was absolute gruesome. It was something I got of a horror movie. And me being someone, I like arm attacks in jujitsu because people think that they that their arms are a little bit more flexible than they realize. And the next thing they know that that shit's just laying there beside their shoulder or their uh, waist. That's kind of what happened to Jamal Hill here. Dude's arm was toast. And that's Paul Craig's jujitsu. Um, he, I, I think it looked good. I don't know what you do next with Paul Craig. I love the fact that that picture going around of him and Jamal, uh, Jamal Hill partying at the after party uh, after all the the supposed bad, bad blood between their, their um, contests. I, I, I love the fact that I saw that. But, um, yeah, I mean, Paul Craig looked good. Good, good submission there. Um, Brad Riddell and Eric Anders picking up wins. Lauren Murphy picked up an important win against Joanne Calderwood's getting a split decision 
And again, she should be someone who's in the title conversation. She's been beating up everybody for the last couple of years now. She's on a run as well. But just as she mentioned, you can't go out there and have a not great fight and be expecting to get a title shot. We'll see if she gets another one next. It should be her. Or excuse me, if she gets her first one, it should be her. But with the way the UFC books... You never know because no one else has no one else has done the work that she's done lately in the women's flyweight division. Um, that's really all I want to talk about from this card, but it was a good show. Um, you know, just another good show in a, in a long line of good summer events that are coming from the UFC this year. Uh, let me go on and flip it on over because we're going to talk about this weekend's card, which isn't as as big. But still has at least one fight on it I, I want to focus on. So we'll be talking about that next. So for Saturday, Chan Sung Jung and Dan Ige are fighting at 145 uh, at the UFC Apex. And this is a very important fight because it sets up what's next for the featherweight division. Sung Jung is sitting at number four. Ige is sitting at number eight, which I'm surprised he's that low, to be honest with you. I have not looked at any betting lines for this fight, but he should be the favorite coming into this contest. Ige has been on a great run as of late, and Chan Sung Jung is kind of on the decline. And I hate to say that because I'm, I'm a fan of his, and uh, I was glad that he was able to come back after serving his time in the Korean military. But he, I mean, he... Had those those two wins over Renato Canario and um, Frankie Edgar, you know, yeah, he was beating Yair Rodriguez before he took that loss, and that went over um, Dennis Bermudez. But that loss to Brian Ortega was pretty telling to me. It was very telling to me. And now, I don't think he's going to be able to overcome Dan Ige now. Ige has, he has that loss to Calvin Cater, which I feel like, I don't really remember it too much, but he has that loss to Calvin Cater. He bounced back to knock out Gavin Tucker in the first round of their fight back in March. So I feel like he's slotted to be a next up and coming um, contender, but he has to get by Chen Sung Jung. And I think that this fight is a perfect way to mix the idea of a, I don't want to say new prospect versus a um, aging out fighter because Zombie's 34, he'll be turning, he just turned 34. Ige will be turning 30 this year. I like Ige in this fight. I really like um, him to potentially stop Jung. And I know that says a lot because Jung doesn't get stopped. He, I mean, that's his damn nickname, the Korean Zombie. He just keeps coming. But I do not think he he being uh, Chan Sung Jung is the same guy that we thought he was. Uh, we're seeing fighters that are succumbing to these wars that they've been having throughout their career, and I, uh, and, and just from my point of view, Chan Sung Jung is one of those guys who has just been in one too many wars, and I think that we're about to start seeing the doors fly off um, starting on Saturday. I'm liking I'm liking Dan Ige to put the paws on him and to pick up a win there. So from that, let's look at what else is on this card. There isn't a lot. This is one of those cards that I feel like is going to be sneaky good. 
but there aren't a lot of names that would immediately stop people, make people stop and want to watch. Um, Matt Brown today was talking about his fight with Diego Lima, and he says it's going to be pure carnage, pure carnage and violence, and I'm always here for that. Tim Means. Tim Means is another guy that just brings pure violence to all, all of his fight. He's fighting Danny Roberts, so that should be a good one as well, too. Alexi Olnik is back, and I'm not sure. I don't know too much about his opponent, Sergey Spiviak. That name, I mean, I've seen that name on UFC cards before, but I'm not too much sure of, of him. Um, Verena Janjaroba Jan, Jan, is back, and I'm looking forward to seeing her. I, You know, she had that back-and-forth fight with Mackenzie Dern after submitting, uh, what's the woman's name, Fleece Herrick. In her UFC debut on short notice, and she's 16 and 2. I don't think she's one that people should be overlooking. She had that tough fight with uh, Mackenzie Dern. I get it, but Janjaroba should not be overlooked in any way, shape, or form. She's fighting Kanako Malata, who's 12 and 1. That's a sneaky good pairing there. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of opportunity to see some good things there. Um, what else? That's really it for, our, for this card. I'm not quite too quite, excuse me, I can't talk today. I'm not quite sure with how it's really going to play out. I will be in Miami this weekend. You can't see me, but if you could, I will be, I'm raising my eyebrows here, um, but I cannot wait for that. So I will not be watching. However, comma, there are reasons to watch this this, this weekend. It should be a, um, should be a good show. There's a lot of boxing on this weekend as well too. Let me pull that up because I was looking at some of the numbers. But um let's see. Lomachenko's fighting this weekend. Well no, he's fighting on the twenty sixth. Um in June who else is fighting today? Um Inu uh Inoue is fighting um on Saturday. Uh who else? He's fighting in Las Vegas on ESPN. Um, Jamal Charlo is fighting on Saturday as well. He's fighting Houston on Showtime for a middleweight title. Um, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. and Sr. are both fighting. And this is hilarious because Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. is fighting Anderson Silva. That Anderson Silva, former UFC champion Anderson Silva in a 10-round cruiserweight fight. And then Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. is fighting Hector Camacho Jr., in a six-round middleweight exhibition, which should be pretty cool there. That is in Mexico. I'm sure we're going to see some shenanigans that are going to go down. Uh, going to go down. So that is something that could catch the eye of some mixed martial arts fans. And I know Shawan is going to want to be back to talk about those on next week. Oh man, Anderson Silva's boxing. I can't even, can't even believe that. But I'm glad he was able to get out of his UFC contract. Uh, and get to do some other opportunities to allow him to make some money without Dana White getting his paws on the funds. So I wanted to turn it over now. We're going to answer a couple questions. And I saw two intriguing questions that came up to me. The first one is about Israel Adesanya. They're both, they both kind of involve Israel Adesanya. The first one is whether or not he lost anything by going up to 205, if it knocked some of the luster off of him, some of the shine and some of the interest in seeing him lose to Jan Blachowicz. I don't think that that's the case. 
the thing about and the reason why I feel that way is if you look at how Adesanya answered that question after he lost, he answered it in a way that made it clear that he wanted to test his medal. And yes, he was knocked down, but he wasn't knocked out. And what I mean by that, yeah, it's those metaphorical ways of talking about fighting. Uh, you see it, we all, I often joke about it when you see it in jujitsu competitions where people are like, I didn't lose, I learned, or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. No, you lost. Adesanya is looking at this as, a, or he looked at it during the post-fight press conference as saying that he may have been defeated, but he's still, he's still chasing after greatness. And when you chase after greatness, you're going to slip and fall and fail more often than not, which is important because that's all, that's the reason why a lot of people don't even try. And seeing him go up to 205, seeing him losing at 205, it, it's, it, it doesn't diminish his view as one of the all-time, not all-time greats, so one of the pound-for-pound pound greats. He's currently sitting at number three, according to the UFC rankings in pound for pound. And uh, I could see that behind John Jones and Kamaru, um, Kamaru Usman. I think that's going to change soon because it's going to be a while before we see John Jones in the cage again. But I don't think he lost any of his shine by going up to 205 and facing a defeat there. Will he ever be champion at 205 pounds? I don't know. We don't know. That's a still a question that should be raised, a question that we should watch and monitor because I know he's going to make a, a move back up there at some point in time. And he'll be a threat, especially as he continues to get stronger, if he continues to get better on the floor, as he saw, as he showed against Vittori, he's going to look like someone, he may look entirely different the next time we see him at 205 pounds. And I think that that is, what, that is something that, stands out to uh, everyone as to why that loss didn't necessarily damage him in a way that's unrepairable. Had he went up and like got knocked out in 10 seconds or something like that, we'd be having a different conversation. But that is not what occurred. I mean, he still was able to take some rounds. He still had some strong moments in that fight. So let's give this guy some time. Let's, let's see what he looks like in the next couple of years and if he makes that move back up how he performs then compared to now. The other question I was posed also includes Adesanya. And this one was pretty interesting to me because it talks about who had the most dominant run or the more dominant run as a champion, Israel Adesanya or Ronda Rousey. And this, and at first jump, you want to say uh, Adesanya just because he's still doing it. But if you look back at what Rousey did during her time, she had more title defenses in less time. There was a point, there's like a two-year span where she was basically fighting every two months. And Adesanya wants to stay active. You hear that all the time during his uh, press press uh, releases or, or his conversations with the press. But... He, you know, he's still not at that point. He, um, he's had, what, four title defenses now at 205, I believe, or 105. Let me, let me double check. Um, let me double, let me confirm. But I think he's had four title fights at, four title defenses at Costa, Vittori, um, 
Castellum, and the other guy, Joel Romero. Yes, those are the individuals he defended the title against, and he had a, a pretty strong run before that as well. But uh, Rousey had a hell of a run as champion. And it's a, it's a little different, though, at the same time, too, because you have to look at who they were fighting. I always talk about Ronda's run, and she was Henzo Gracie. Not Henzo Gracie, excuse me. She was Hoist Gracie back in the early days of the UFC. People didn't know what Jiu-Jitsu was, and they were unable to deal with him finding a way to get the choke, finding a way to get the submission every time he got into the cage with them. And that's why he went on a little bit of a run when they first started. Rousey was a lot like that. Women in the the sport were not up to par with her skill set. They could not keep up with her. But the minute you saw fighters be able to do just that, you saw Holly Holm do it, you saw Amanda Nunez do it, all of the scary shine went away. She um she started getting picked apart. And we saw her how her legacy basically ended. So I mean, but that can't you can't use that to detract from her run as champion. She had a very dominant run as champion, was finishing people mercilessly, Leslie, excuse me, mercilessly every time. And I think that that deserves more recognition than we really do give her. I understand she's not the sunniest person when it comes to combat sports or just course sports in general. But she did what she needed to do, and she definitely was a, in my opinion, I believe she was the more um, dominant champion. And, yeah, that's really everything we're going to cover on today's show. This is a rather short show, obviously, because I'm just here by myself. But, as always, you know, I want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to the show and um I will be back next week with Shawan because this will be, I'll have an opportunity. Right now, I'm just kind of scrounging, um, scurrying to get ready for this, this vacation and get things done in advance. But, yeah, um, thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. As always, you can find us over at MMARatings.net and .com. That is our, those are our flagship uh, platforms. You can hit us up on social media across Instagram and Twitter at MMA Ratings Net. You can catch me at um, on YouTube, excuse me, at MMA Ratings, where you can catch this show and Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast, which is another podcast that I do just on professional wrestling. You can hit me up at rgarcia underscore sports on both Instagram and Twitter. Schwan Humes, you can find him at Black Jordan Breen on both Instagram and Twitter as well. So once again, Thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. I hope you have a great week, everyone, and stay safe. Wear your mask, get vaccinated, and Black Lives Matter.